0: This is the Pro America Report on the Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Hey, I got some interesting news for you. Thank you for tuning in, and don't forget go to ProAmericaReport.com. And you know, because of this program and because of the the uh, kind of um, stature and everything, I got invited to onto Breitbart Radio show uh, this morning. A friend of mine, Alex Marlowe, the editor there. I sometimes write uh, columns there, and uh, you know, Breitbart Radio does uses the uh, town hall uh, news and all, and so. So I was writing for them and they asked me to come in. I filled in uh, on that show and I want to tell you about something, which only because of this great program and the Salem Radio Network and you, uh, it was cool. So uh, by the way, don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com and uh, get yourself uh, uh, all of our stuff and sign up for the Daily Wink so you get what you need to know there. So what I wanted to relay to you was um, that we, um, I had this interview that I undertook with Jay Ashcroft. So Jay Ashcroft is the attorney general... Uh, gosh, I can't believe I just said that. His Jay Ashcroft is the Secretary of State of Missouri. He's the 40th Secretary of State. Great guy. He is a, He is actually a friend of mine for a long time, and a super guy, and really nice man, and smart and all. And he's, of course, his father is uh, John Ashcroft, and uh, his mother is Janet Ashcroft. Janet Ashcroft was a great friend of Phyllis Schlafly's, and uh, Janet Ashcroft often told the story that she got the Phyllis Schlafly report in the mail and made sure that her husband, who was uh, in succession, the Missouri Attorney General, then the Missouri Governor, then a U.S. Senator from Missouri, then Attorney General of the United States. She made sure that he read that every time. And uh, so it was um, a great family. And, uh, And Jay Ashcroft is married with four children. And he is a fascinating man because he started out as an engineer. He got a degree in engineering from uh, Rolla, the University of Missouri. Uh, uh, In Missouri, our sort of technical school there is Rolla. It's uh, the University of Missouri at Rolla is what it used to be called. Now it's called Missouri University of Science and Technology, maybe, something like that. Uh, But it's a very good school. It was actually once called, I think, the School of Mines, Rolla School of Mines, back, uh, you know, 50, 70 years ago. Very, very fine engineering school. Anyway, Jay Ashcroft gets a degree in engineering, which means he's sane. You know, if you study engineering as opposed to going to college and studying some subject and get off track, he's very methodical, he's very smart, and he went to be a teacher for a long time. And so, good guy, and we're all that. Then he went on to law school in in his sort of 30s or something. Well, now he's Secretary of State of Missouri. And when I had him on the show, I was interviewing him, and I'll get him on our show again here, uh, and I said to him, uh, Secretary Ashcroft, what keeps you up at night when it comes to November election? And it won't, be, it won't surprise you to hear that he said, well, running a good election in this environment is a real challenge, meaning people are worried about illness. People are cheating. He didn't say cheating. I'm saying cheating at the polls. And then, of course, he segued to absentee balloting and mail-in ballots and the threat of those. So um, th- anyway, we went on for a long time and we talked about a lot of things. And he was just very methodical. In fact, In the midst of it, I thought, that's an engineer. He talked about, he thinks of elections as logistics, a logistical challenge, because he said, you got to get a person to get their ballot and get their ballot cast and then get it counted. And he said, that's how I look at this uh, situation. So anyway, as we went through this, what I want to tell you, what you need to know is there's all sorts of noise there's people being canceled. This guy, Nick Cannon, who is uh, some sort of actor, he said some anti-Semitic things. He got fired, then he got rehired by somebody else. I don't know. We've got the NBA about to restart, and the players are deciding what social justice uh, uh, phrase to put on their uniform. You know, on and on, right? The coronavirus hysteria has hit, uh, hit peak uh, CNN. And and then, of course, there's some real numbers. The the unemployment numbers are pretty tough. Some increase in unemployment numbers is tough. This is a, it's a wild time. But you, you and we've talked about this, you and I have to cut through this to what you need to know. And when you listen to Jay Ashcroft, and again, I'll put it up on uh, on at uh, ProAmericaReport.com and on social media. What he makes clear is we have to worry about the, the reality, in my opinion, is the left is losing So they're losing. And then he said, you have to be aware that a lot of times leftists will try to damage the process to make it so people feel bad about our elections in this case. So he was saying, he was talking about that. I'm putting more of my spin on it, but he was basically saying, we got to worry about protecting our elections. And my point to you, I'll just tell you this is the left is losing. They're losing it, meaning they're losing their mind. Yesterday, the Los Angeles Times published an op-ed, one of their contributors, that we should get rid of the Star-Spangled Banner in favor of Lean On Me, the Bill Withers song. Now, I'm not against the Lean On Me. I kind of remember it from my childhood. It's kind of a cool song. But replacing the Star-Spangled Banner, doesn't make sense. And my point in telling you that is when normal people look at that and they think, What? When normal people look up and they see Portland is now having part of their city be occupied by people that want to have lawlessness and the mayor and the prosecutors and the cops can't stop it. They're looking up and they're saying, yeah, we can't have this. When they look up and they see Joe Biden's release now his plans, which are raise our taxes all across the board. And amnesty for illegal aliens to two to 20 million people. As, as more of this is known, they're just, it's a death rattle. It's a death rattle of the uh, Democrat Party and the left. They know they're losing. So now when you're losing, you start to, as I told you the other day, start to look for other things. And one of the things the leftists will do is look to damage and destabilize. They did it with the Russia hoax. They, I mean, they really spent two and a half, three years of the presidency tying up lots of people, damaging lots of people. See C- Mike Flynn. So what Jay Ashcroft says and what you need to know is we've got to get focused on what's at stake and not just, oh, whoa, wow, here comes somebody's canceled and this and that. Oh, there's a change in the the campaign manager. Let me tell you something about campaigns. Every campaign I've ever known and been on, I've worked on, I've run twice myself. I've been involved in 10. Change in personnel and job duties is totally common. In fact, what the, the it would be surprising if the Trump administration didn't do that. I mean, excuse me, the Trump campaign didn't do that. Brad Pasquale, the guy who was in charge and is still doing the digital, he's a kind of digital guy. The new guy is named Bill Stepien. He's a guy that's run lots of campaigns. That's kind of a natural shift. It's not odd. It's a, and media is like, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. No, look, it's you're seeing the ongoing effort of the media to convince the American people that Trump is not winning because they can't believe it. Just like with Hillary, they're, they're, they're doing this over and over again. In fact, there was polling, I think it was in Pennsylvania, 57% of the people polled told the pollster that they believed there was uh, silent Trump supporters who wouldn't answer the pollsters. What does it tell you if 57% tell you that? Say that to the pollster. In other words, uh, some percentage of them are the part of that. So anyway, my point is, as they're, as they're r- 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 stumbling to this election, as Joe Biden has to get out of his basement and speak, and it gets more and more confused and more and more muddled, and they start to lose, and they know they're losing, one of the things they're going to do is try to steal it and try to destabilize the election. So later on in the show, I told you we'll talk about what you need to do, you know, the window. So what you need to know is we have a problem with the election, and it's far enough away now, 100 plus days. it's about 110 days, whatever it is, 16 weeks from uh, two days ago. And now we have to plan on how to help with this, on how to become a part of the solution. because mail-in ballots, I asked Jay Ashcroft, Missouri's attorney, uh, Secretary of State, I said, uh, Secretary Ashcroft, can we ask our local election officials to post online, to stream online? The counting of absentee ballots, the counting of mail-in ballots, so that we have eyes, many eyes, on the people who might be committing fraud. And we have eyes on on many of the things that might be, you know, looking the other way if there's problems. And he said, yes, it can't be done, he thought, by the federal government. It has to be done by local jurisdictions. But we could start demanding it. We could, If you're going to stream, I don't know, you know, the city council meeting, which is fine. They're doing that. They're, they're streaming, you know, they're doing most of these meetings by Zoom. Anyway, we are streaming. We have Congress on C-SPAN. The Supreme Court is uh, doing their all our oral arguments on uh, audio, at least on C-SPAN. We can stream. We should stream all of these election uh, uh, a- avenue uh, areas, the big ones, the counting ones. So anyway, at the end of that, J. Ashcroft said, "Ed, I got to tell you, what do I?" I said, "What do you need?" He said, "I need more people." He said, "I need more people who are conservative, who believe in the rule of law, who will step up and will actually play a role in November." At the, at the polling places, in the election authority, in the election authority's offices, wherever that may be. That's what he asked for. I, I have to tell you, I've already done, and earlier today, I went online, I made sure, I got, I've already been a uh, volunteer outside of the polling places canvassing for my party. I'm now going to go and, and get registered to be a poll worker and get inside and spend one day, if I can, I'll spend days beforehand trying to be involved in the absentee ballot counting and the mail-in ballot. We have to do that. You're going to hear me talk about more and more. You know, the noise will be about all sorts of other stuff. They'll be about Trump's tweets. They'll be about Trump's staff. They'll be about Trump's this, Trump's that. Forget about it we focus we know what's at stake we know what you need to know and we know what we need to do so that's what we have to do all right we got a bunch of great interviews today we'll get to them uh, in just a moment don't forget proamericareport.com it's ed martin we'll be right back this is the pro america report on
0: the answer san diego
1: welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report you know you've heard me talk about how much the impact of what happens in certain places impacts other places and you know whether you, well, that sounds a little silly but when you have say um, policies in, in one community it impacts other communities and we've talked last week uh, on the program about the White House had put something out President Trump had tweeted about some of the efforts by Joe Biden and Cory Booker to uh, to put incentives in to, uh, to incentivize getting rid of single fam- family occupancy zoning which would have an impact in lots of communities but here's one. that's really interesting to me. Uh, We're going to talk next with Michael Fisher and he's the president of the New York's Central Park South Civic Association and he has has been commenting on and was given to me because he's talking about how what you're seeing in our cities, especially New York, which he knows best, um, is going to cause changes to the suburbs and and it's not if you read the new york times they have all these little lovely little pieces about how well some people that were quarantining didn't stay in the city new york they went out to their country home well that's not the same thing as getting out of new york because it's lawlessness so first of all let me welcome michael fisher to the program how are you today sir i'm doing great how you doing I'm doing fine. So tell me, what's the state of New York? New York, you're there. You this is one of your this is your heart and soul. What? Tell me, what's the state of New York, and why? If you live in the suburbs around New York, you ought to be paying attention because it's coming to you. walk us through this.
2: Well, you know, New York City is a disaster. I mean, it's a complete disaster. Like uh, I would say, the majority of cities around the country right now. I mean, we unfortunately we have politicians that are in place that are making decisions and choices that are just completely destroying and disrupting our city. We want our city back, and its uh, I've never seen it go downhill as much as it, it is right now. It's in, in, in very, very bad shape. And I would say that the mayor of the city, Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio, is getting his wish. I mean, he's always said that he hates people that have money. He hates people that live in uh, expensive condominiums, although he himself owns real estate. He, he's got millions of dollars worth of real estate himself, but he, he doesn't like people to live in expensive buildings, you know? And, uh, so he's going to get his wish. People are now dashing out of the city. They're leaving. They can't get out of the city quick enough right now. They're they're afraid of the, the crime rate, uh, because of the defunding of the police station. I mean, uh, we used to have plainclothes men on the street, guarding our streets, uh, you know, from criminals. And uh, he's gotten rid of that program. And it's going to have a devastating effect on our city in terms of crime and people leaving the city
1: we're talking with Michael Fisher and he's a community advocate and uh, president of New York's uh, Central Park South Civic Association among other things and before i get to a little bit about what you're seeing happening let me ask a a, a question back in time we've all seen in the last i don't know 2 months or whatever number of weeks this rioting and this uh, you know all this kind of uh, uh, this kind of um, black lives matter and all but and then we before that for a month or two we had this question of the coronavirus and the lockdown but is this you know are people fleeing because it's kind of the last straw in other words were the policies already and the and the way things had gone already sliding that way in other words de blasio now has gone so far as he's spending his time and his energy you know doing street art in front of trump tower as if that's you know you got homelessness problem you got a violence problem you got cops pro you know cops being shorthanded but was it before all this was new york already in a tough spot or and is this the last straw or did this accelerate it walk us through that part of it
2: well, I mean, I think that one of the problems that the city's had, like, you know, some of the other major cities like um, San Francisco and Seattle, and, and even in your your own city, I mean, San Diego, you have a, a homeless crisis. I mean, you have thousands of people in your convention center so uh, that are homeless. Um, so... Uh, the problem is is that uh, there's a, there's a homeless crisis in our city and there's uh, seventy thousand 80,000 homeless throughout the city and the majority of them are mentally ill and they don't want to go into shelters because they get beat up or robbed and there's absolutely no rehabilitation programs that are really put together to address this problem and now with the coronavirus that's just going to multiply out this problem because what you're going to have are people that are uh, can't afford to make pay their rent they've lost their jobs they can't pay their rent eventually they get uh, thrown out of their uh, rental properties, or maybe they uh, get thrown out of their homes because they can't make the mortgage payments. Maybe a lot of them are become drug addicts or uh, alcoholics, and they're on the streets, and there's, not, there's really no programs in place that are going to help these people. So, yeah, it's getting uh, worse and worse and worse as we go along. Now, the other piece of it is that, uh, you know, in the city right now, I mean, you don't have the majority of people are, that worked in the city are now working from home, and uh, so the city is a lot emptier than it's ever been that I've ever seen in my entire life. And you have a lot of the retail establishments that are gonna, you know, that eventually are gonna go out of business because people aren't shopping in their stores. People are shopping, you know, on the internet, uh, Amazon. I think Amazon's got enough of our business. Uh, I personally don't shop on Amazon. I support uh, local retailers, and I and I hope that uh, we. What I what I like to ask everybody to do in all the communities is support your local retailers. Help them. Help them survive this 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 terrible crisis of them, you know, not having enough business to stay a Float. And then there are the restaurants, where right now in New York City, uh, they're only allowing the restaurants to um, put tables outside where people can eat, uh, which means that if, you don't, if it's too hot outside or if it's raining, uh, people, the restaurants are going to lose business. So the restaurant businesses are suffering tremendously. The the bars, obviously, are all shut down. And uh, what they should allow is they should allow 30 to 50% of the occupants to to be able to go into the restaurants. I don't think that would be a problem. I think we have to – I think the city is slowly going downhill right now because of that. And then, of course, you have the (laughs) – And you have, of course, the uh, the funding for the police department. I mean, somebody is throwing dartboards, darts at a dartboard, and, and it hits a number. Oh, let's cut a billion dollars out of the New York uh, budget for the police department. And then in San, San Diego, they're throwing a dart, and saying, you know, $30 million. in San Francisco, you know, $50 million. So, you know, they're not looking at this thing logically at all. I and, mean, you know, what they're doing is they're... They're lying to, to organizations like Black Lives Matter because they're telling them they're going to be cut, significantly cutting the police forces from the street. And I will be guaranteeing you in six months they're going to add you know, everything back to the budget and they're going to you know, put more police people on the street because they're going to need to do that. But the thing that I'm saying is they shouldn't be lying to these organizations. What they should say to the organizations is, look, we can't cut the police. We need the police on, uh, on the streets. What we can do is we can go through all our files, look at people that maybe have had complaints against them, remove them, get them off the streets. You know, we can, we can put better training programs together. We can put programs together to educate the police on, on um, you know, racism and history and all the other stuff to make them better people. We can do those things, but we can't cut the police. If we do that, you know, we're asking for a lot of potential problems on the streets. And uh, so New York City is doing everything they can to uh, self-destruct. Uh,
1: and and, and when, what do you think, when you say people are fleeing, what are the numbers? Do we know the numbers? Uh, can you see, uh, you know, again, we're talking with Michael Fisher uh, from up in New York, uh, a community advocate. Can you tell me the numbers do we know yet, or will it only become clear over time?
2: I mean, I, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, to be transparent with you, but thousands and thousands. First of all, the dream of every student when they graduate college to work in New York City, you know, to work for right. one of the you know big companies in New York, right? Well, now what's happening is uh, they're all moving. They're, they're moving out of the city. They're, they're scared. They there's there's no, there's nothing to do in the city. There's nothing open really in the city. So they're fleeing the city and they're uh, moving into the suburbs. Maybe moving back into their parents' houses. I mean, some of them are leaving and just not paying their rent. Others are cutting deals with their landlords, and so the landlords are saying, "Okay, you're not going to pay the rent. All right, just stay here one more month and uh, and we'll release you." But uh, so you get tons of those people leaving. And then you have families who love the city, love Central Park, love everything about it, the culture, you know, everything. And uh, and now all of a sudden they're leaving because they're afraid. And, and they're going to the suburbs and they're buying new houses in the suburbs. I mean, rates are very low. So they if they're renting in the city, they leave, they buy something in the suburbs or they sell their property in the city, and they buy something in the suburbs. So that's how I don't have the exact numbers, but thousands and thousands of people. I mean, I know my building, for example, um, which is a condominium building, uh, a lot of the people have, not, while they haven't put their units up for sale, they, they're living outside of the city right now. They don't even want to be in the city. They're scared. I happen to love the city, hmm. so no matter how tough things get in the city, I'm still there. <laughs> but what really frustrates yeah. me a lot about the city is that is that you know the Ritz-Carlton, Central Park South, it's boarded up. On the first floor, boarded up. Wow. I mean, in the most crowded wow. area in the city. I mean, Central Park South is probably one of the most crowded areas in Manhattan. And there's a coffee shop on the corner there. That's, I mean, uh, shops open uh, like from 7 in the morning to like 12 at night. Now they're open from 9 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon during the week, and they're closed on the weekend. I mean, this is unacceptable in the greatest city in the world. We have a great city, and, and decisions that are, that are being made right now are hurting the city, and it's very sad to see that.
1: Well, I think it's I'm glad you're out there talking about it. I think people I was just going to tell you, I'm going to email you after with some other stuff on this to follow up. But, you know, nobody's covering that. If you showed an image of the Ritz-Carlton in the greatest country in the world and the greatest city in the world and they got the Ritz-Carlton boarded up, you know, this is insane. I mean, that there's something wrong with uh, with uh, our world. So, well, I got to run. Listen, uh, keep us in the loop and uh, we'll have you back on again. Uh, Michael Fisher. Appreciate it very much. Thank you.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you. Take care.
1: All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. A couple days ago, I was reading our friend Lord Conrad Black, who joins us now. He's uh, He's been a leading businessman. He was a publisher. He's uh, he's done a lot of things. He's also an author and a historian, a biography. One of them is on FDR, another on Nixon, if I recall correctly. And he's been writing, uh, wrote a book on Trump, uh, but also writes over at amgreatness.com, American Greatness. And a few days ago, he wrote a, uh, a piece about the Harper's letter and the sort of, uh, the, the glimpse into what i would say the american elite uh education elite university elite and i haven't talked about it much on the on the radio uh conrad so if you don't mind welcome back lord conrad black and if you can walk us through your piece and and what it shows because i thought it was a you you illustrated well what this kind of shows about uh america right now uh walk us through that please
0: yeah, well, I think, um, first of all, thanks for uh, having me on it. But uh, I, what happened is, as many of your listeners would know, is that a group of about 150, uh, as they describe themselves, intellectuals, which would be a reasonable description for some of them anyway, um, uh, got together and wanted to write a cautionary message, a sort of open letter to their fellow uh, intellectuals and those who follow them, that it was very hazardous to be quite so dogmatic about who had a right to speak and what the motives were of everyone who uh, who, who expressed an opinion in the, in the intense public debate that's going on now, and um, right. and it was a widespread group. include J.K. Rowling, the you know the British uh, fiction writer, Harry Potter, the inventor of Harry Potter, and it included Noam. Chomsky, that ancient Marxist uh, who knows a lot about language but has never said a sensible word about politics in 70 years. And um, a number of people who had no business being on the so-called letter from intellectuals like Michelle Goldberg, that hack in the New York Times, and and, and a lot of people no one would ever have heard of, but, but there were some serious people there. And um, and the line was, look here, we know that Trump is a menace to democracy. We know that Trump is encouraging the forces of neoliberalism all over the world. Uh, and uh, we know that as you know that, but the answer should not be that we shut down free and open debate. And my point was that the, the allegation that Trump is a menace to democracy is an outrage. He is, in fact, the chief subject of the tensions of these people that they are objecting to, uh, those who don't right. want to allow a, a free public debate, who are t- attempting to curtail debate and cancel people and call anyone who disagrees with them a racist or, and other uh, similar epithets. And it is a bit rich for these people to say, not only is Trump a menace to democracy, uh, but this person who is the subject of the obsessive and often criminal interest of those whom they are warning not to be too intolerant is somehow right. aiding them. I mean it, it, yeah. it just illustrates perfectly the hypocrisy and the and the misplaced sophistry of so many of these intellectuals who live on sinecures are underworked can 't write can 't think and send out millions of young people out into the world with infected fatuous ideas.
1: I I would say that you sound like on a, you're on a particular role today, but you always are. So I, I, I'm smiling as I hear you. But but I, I want to you know again. This is what I want to ask you about. You know, you published newspapers for years. You've been in, in other words, you were in the communications game. You wrote historic biographies of major figures, and now you watch the the quote unquote journalists of this era. Descend. They may have been liberal in the past. You may have worked with them and employed them at your newspapers and all, but they may have been liberal even if they were reporters. But they they had somehow at least had, I don't know, enough dignity to to have put aside their bias and try to function. We're living in a time where, and the two things about this that are so worrying, one is they're smoking themselves out. You're looking at them, you're like, boy, you guys are kind of pathetic. But the second thing is they're making a whole bunch of people that don't know better a little bit or a lot crazy and that's the Indeed. thing i find you know concerning so what do we do about that what we're in i mean how do you handle that moment in terms of what they're doing to a whole bunch of people a third of the country's made insane by these people
0: yeah yeah or maybe even more than a third Look, like on the yeah. subject of the journal, so we, we our biggest newspaper was the london daily telegraph which is the biggest broadsheet newspaper in Europe and one of the biggest in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and our rule always was, even though it was well-known as a conservative paper, we went all the way with Margaret Platcher. Um, our rule was to separate reporting from comment. We had absolutely no problem with the views of the journalists where we had Marxists, we had all kinds of people in different places. didn't matter as long as they knew how to separate reporting from comment and where they didn't, the editors would help them on that. And if they wanted to submit an opinion piece, they could do it, but they had to sign it and it was clear it was their opinion, not... Not the newspaper reporting, and and that worked well. We had no labor problems. We had, we had a very good relationship with the with the journalists, and 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 uh, just by illustration, the then leader of the opposition, Neil Kinnock. We certainly violently opposed, editorially, when he ran uh, as party leader, leader of the opposition, right. the Labour Party, against Thatcher and John Major, uh, the man from whom Joe Biden cribbed that, uh, you know, that, that yeah. oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. never having gone right. yeah. to university. Neil um, right. uh, himself told me that the first parliamentary reporting he looked at every morning was in our paper because it was always fair, and I think what we. Done, and I'm shocked that it's happened, as you are, and I'm sure many of your listeners are. Uh, we have the, the long, great New York Times. All my time was a liberal paper. Everybody knew that, but but it was relatively reliable in presenting the truth, in, even in highly partisan circumstances, and uh, as well as their their own comments on top of that, absolutely plainly declared that their their position now is not to report objectively; it is to attack the president. Well, I I mean, you know, I think this is absolutely scandalous, and I think the the resignation of Ms. Weiss and her letter earlier this week is illustrative of what we're dealing with. Now, when you say what can be done about it, I I think what has to happen is the Democratic Party has now become a coalition of old-time, for the most part, reasonable Democrats. Uh, many of whom are not in that party anymore, but some are still there. These absolutely corrupt, incompetent, big city political machines and idiots like de Blasio and Lightfoot in Chicago and the jackass Garcetti in Los Angeles. It's shocking that such great cities have such incompetent mayors. And and it goes a lot farther than that. Bowser and I, I'm none too impressed with these right, right. bottoms either. But they, you've got that group, the old traditional... Machine of the immigrants, and, and but now it's tainted with these extremists. They're mollycoddling Black Lives Matter, which is essentially a racist organization that does not accept that all lives matter, and and, and engages along with Antifa in what amounts to urban guerrilla war, and uh, and they're attached to them and they're allied to a pestilence. They're they're joined at the hip to the durability. Uh, of the coronavirus and the, and the ability of their lackeys in the media to terrorize the public with that uh, public health problem. And and it is a disreputable organization. And I think all people of goodwill who really want uh, a resurrection of free debate and respectable media, uh, they now have to hold the noses and support the president because he is the only force now standing for civilization here. The Democratic Party it told- undermined and, and rotted out from, from the bottom up by, by uh, dangerous elements.
1: So, and we're talking with Lord Conrad Black, and by the way, over on Twitter, his at Conrad M Black, and uh, he has a piece up at the dot I'll put it up on social media. We won't have time to talk about because I want to ask you his last question about this. So, what do we do when the media is so rapidly deteriorated, and, and you know, and 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 it's driving people crazy? I mean, it, it really is. I, I tell people, I tell my listeners sometimes, you got to unplug, just get away from, especially cable TV. Even Fox News uh, tends to be playing uh, the game of how to keep people coming back by making them crazy you know it feels like it's worse than it's ever been am I misreading that is it going ebb and flow and we're going to come back from this
0: I, I think I think it is I don't I wouldn't presume to say you're misreading I think the traditional media are by far, more irresponsible than they have ever been. Uh, certainly, in the lifetime of anyone now living, uh, and I'm, the, you know, I'm getting to be an old man, and I've been following the media for 65 years. It's never been remotely as bad as this. And and not only in the United States, although uh, you know, I think you're leading in this. I've seen so many other things, most of them good things. But the, uh, I, I think the good news is the fragmentation of markets is so great. And, and so, uh, all sorts of people get their news in ways that weren't available even. Fifteen years ago, uh, they look at aggregators and read certain articles. Say both sides of it. You have people at Real Clear Politics. They always run, you know, a, a piece on each side of every issue and, and, and about five different variations. And uh, and and or people go to sites that they have confidence in. And and uh, the, I mean, I have a I, I don't I cite myself not as any self praise, but just did by illustration, those who actually like my view of things. Uh, I, I, I do four columns a week in the United States. And there's no doubt that I have a very large readership, and, and so people who like that can they can find what they trust. And I don't mean just with me. I'm talking. I mean anyone, the people on the left, whoever they, you know, anyone. Anyway. And and uh, and that fragmentation of the market. I and mean, when I was a young man, uh, the three main networks and about five print publications controlled most of <laughs> public opinion in the U.S and 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 that was potentially dangerous now for the most part, they were responsible people and and they didn't abuse their positions but uh, but but the, that's not the point. it was potentially dangerous and I don't think you have that now, even though there's this massive group think, on the radio on the television networks uh, other than Fox I think Fox is pretty responsible but the uh, right. that's somewhat countered in the in the uh the social media and the amusing part of that is the 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 executives and owners of the main Social media platforms are, 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 again, absurdly left wing, limousine lefties. Uh, and and their their um, services that have made them their huge fortunes are being used by Trump and his followers uh, to counter the basic national <laughs> political media. It, it's all kind of piquant, but uh, it, when you when you look at it, the president's ratings are two to three times higher than those of the media. The public doesn't trust the media, and so right, they exactly. haven't gelled in the numbers that you might have feared. On the other, but the danger is as you I'm trying to be so long winded, but it's Complicated. I don't want to be glib about it, but the uh, free press is absolutely vital to a democracy. And we're getting to the point where the public doesn't respect the free press because they don't deserve respect. And uh, but yeah. the, the, the antidote and the good news and the escape hatch, I think, is this tremendous multiplicity of choice. So people go to places they trust. And, and and again, when when I was young, and probably even when you were young, uh, you know Walter Cronkite, David Brinkley, and uh, E.P. Yeah, e. Morgan right. or Frank Reynolds, whoever right. was on ABC between them, the whole country watched them. They, they don't. They don't watch those. Yep. no one. No, no, no one would know who the hell the anchor at, the, at CBS <laughs> is anymore. You know, no one would know. No, no one would care. That's a-
1: that's right, that's right. No, you're exactly right. Those those were the canonical, uh, pro, you know, providers of the of the news, and it's just fragmented. All right, we got to run though. Uh, Conrad Black, thanks as always. Uh, fascinating topic, and I'll put up on social media his recent writings. He mentions he writes three, four, sometimes more times in uh, our publications all over America. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. This
0: is the Pro America Report on the Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from. Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: 51 years ago today, the Apollo 11 lunar mission achieved liftoff from the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. This was certainly a momentous day in the history of our great nation. It marked the beginning of a new chapter for all of mankind. Many people forget that a new chapter means the beginning of something as well as the end of something. While it may have been the end of the chapter in which mankind was tethered to Earth, it began a new era of defending American interests in the skies and beyond. Although we've entered into multiple international agreements to deter the militarization of space, bad actors like Russia and China ignore these treaties when it suits their interests. Earth's orbit was filled with debris, known as space junk, after China conducted anti-satellite missile tests in 2007. Russia hasn't been slacking off on their space weapons program either. If America doesn't step up to the plate, these nations could easily gain the power to completely destroy all of our installations in space with no retaliation from us. Everything from communication to weather forecasting would be devastated by such an attack. Given a little time, these nations could render all of our airborne missiles obsolete with space-based defenses like President Reagan proposed with his Strategic Defense Initiative. President Trump was wise enough to see our vulnerability here, which is why he announced the launch of a new sixth branch of the U.S. Armed Forces called the U.S. Space Force. With this new branch, we can look after American interests throughout the globe by countering the militarization undertaken by the likes of Russia and China. If America is to have bargaining power with hostile nations, we have to pursue real military superiority. The challenge of space-based defense might have seemed like a distant proposition for Americans witnessing the Apollo 11 launch 51 years ago, but our world today is a very different place. The sooner we come to terms with this new reality, the sooner we can secure peace for the freedom-loving people of the entire world. This
0: has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. America is safe only when America is strong. Our national defense requires the most modern technology and best trained soldiers, and there should be no social politics or idle threats coming out of Washington. At phyllisschlafly.com, we take this work very seriously. Please visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here to Pro America Report. Go to proamericareport.com and um, sign up for the Daily Wink. Uh, see what's going on, all the segments we had, the show, go to theanswersandiego.com for the podcast. Here's the thing. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about, I'll say it in a moment. for a moment, is over at Periscope, at Eagle Ed Martin, on, t- on Twitter and Periscope, at Eagle Ed Martin, I will do a daily Periscope video. And we always say the Pledge of Allegiance. And I don't think I've talked to you all about that if you're not on Periscope. Every day I do the Pledge of Allegiance over on Periscope, here, right here, uh, usually in my office if I'm doing it here and there's a nice flag on the wall. So I hope people are still doing the pledge of allegiance it's uh it's great it's coming back you watch you'll just like you heard um Earlier in the show, the reference to Cold War between China and America. I've been talking about the Second Cold War. I think ahead of a lot of people. I've been—I mean, other people have used the phrase, but the last six months or so, I've been saying we're in a Second Cold War. And to think any differently is to be not only naive, uh, but really unproductive, unhelpful for America. So uh, that's what we're doing there, and uh, that's important. All right. Here's what you need to do. Remember where you start out. What you need to know today. I told you we've got a threat. And and a concern at our elections, we have Attorney General Jay Ashcroft, uh, Attorney General, I keep doing it, I guess because his father was U.S. Attorney General as well as Missouri's Attorney General. But our uh, Secretary of State in the great state of Missouri is Jay Ashcroft. And we had him on a, I had him on an interview, a lengthy interview, and we talked about how the elections this fall are so important in terms of protecting them. And we've come up with some ideas. We're going to keep expanding on those ideas, maybe streaming live so you can watch the mail-in ballot counting, the mail-in ballot tabulation and see what's going on. There's lots of things. But the the thing what you need to do right now is you need to, if you can... If you can do it, you need to step up and be a worker in the election system this November. I know it's a pain. I know it will be an, a, annoying. I know it's a lot of time. You know, it probably be the whole day or half of the day on election day. There usually will be some kind of training ahead of time. Maybe it's by Zoom or, or not in person this time because of the stuff. But you need to do it. And I'm doing it. I've already sent in my stuff at where I live in Northern Virginia. I put in my stuff to be a, a poll worker, an election, a part of the election system so you can get inside and be another set of eyes. That's what Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft said he needed. And that's what every election authority needs. So that's a challenge. What you need to do is step up and be not just not just work a poll uh, outside the poll canvassing. That's always valuable. And I set that up all the time, you know, get handing out literature for your candidate. That's important. But be a poll worker inside the polls, inside the system to protect the system. And I don't like to, uh, I don't like to encourage people to go inside the system. I, you know, I tell people if you can stay out of the public schools, do it or get to a charter school. If you can, you know, uh, get, keep, protect yourself from government. In this case, we have to be infiltrating and stepping up by working, not infiltrating in a bad way, by just being working people on the uh, elections. And I think it's a big focus. And what you need to do is consider that. So I hope you will. I hope you will. Like I said, I'm doing it. All right. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Don't forget ProAmericaReport.com. Also, TheAnswerSanDiego.com. Check in there. Tomorrow, I'll give you an update on the Republican National Convention. There's some changes there. It's, uh, it's just kind of a mess. They don't quite know what to do uh, for lots of reasons we'll talk about. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our fearless technical director, for keeping everything going, and Joanna for helping uh, book the show. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.